1: My thanks this week to sponsor Hayloft Plants Limited from Perthshire, Worcestershire. Hello from a hot and steamy Essex. Welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views and a bit of timely advice on all things gardening. Goodness, it has been hot. This week, the thermometer racing up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. That's, uh, I think, 50 degrees Celsius in the polytunnel, where uh, I have to say the melons are loving it. I've got three plants of alvaro, said to be one of the earliest to ripen outside, and given the protection of a polytunnel and some good soil, they just run across the surface, and already from the three plants I've got... Six, rapidly developing fruits. You can pretty well watch them swell. It's not just here. My former American TV colleague, John, in Arlington, uh, Boston, USA, tells me that the temperatures there are absolutely steamy. And uh, similarly, the garden centre business is uh, really steaming ahead. They're up by 30 to 40 percent and continue to trade strongly when there is usually a a drop-off through July and August when those uh, temperatures get so hot. Uh, Demand for plants is uh, still high and the problem in America apparently is getting supplies both of plants and of uh, garden supplies generally. It's a similar story here really. I've been uh, looking about on local garden centres to try and buy a bag of uh, ericaceous compost uh, without any success at all. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I may have to uh, get some flowers of sulphur and uh, mix a little of that in to try and reduce the pH of the uh, ordinary potting composts. Uh, This year, the Plant Heritage Brickell Award 2020 has gone to Malcolm Farrow, the head gardener at Marwood Hill Gardens, where they hold the national collection of Astilbe, some 200 different cultivars. Chris Prikel was, of course, the founder of Plant Heritage and is now their vice president. And the members uh, together hold some 400 national plant collections and do a great job in uh, maintaining that library of good garden plants uh, and varieties that uh, would otherwise have fallen by the wayside. Jane Southcott at the uh, Three Counties Mulvern Society announces the launch of the first of a new series of Malvern plant and garden fairs, and the first one starting on the 12th and 13th of uh, September. There'll be open-air events, uh, and geared really for passionate gardeners, the first one of these fairs has already got 36 award-winning specialist nurseries uh, that will be uh, putting their plants on display, including Hardy's Cottage Garden Plants, staging their new Japanese anemone. It's called frilly knickers, and you don't mean me to tell you the uh, shape and colour of those petals. Uh, Really keen plant enthusiasts are encouraged to book for special tickets that allow them to go in at 8.30 and have the first pick of plants on display. Uh, Will George, a former grower for the National Trust, feels that that organisation has been slow to open its plant centres and is missing a trick by being over-cautious. There is a difficulty uh, with these retail centres on uh, big gardens in that you have to book and apparently with uh, members of both the National Trust and the Royal Horticultural Society they don't have to pay to visit gardens and so they are booking and if uh, for something crops up or if the weather isn't quite to their fancy they just don't turn up uh, which is a great pretty really because it's uh, preventing uh, other people coming particularly for the first two time slots in the day i was sad to hear the death of uh, ernst vertheim who has died aged 100 in california ernst coined the term garden center and has been a driving force uh, for good garden center design around the world his book chasing spring is a very interesting read including uh, in his early years the escape from Nazi Germany in 1938 and being shot at as he uh, ran to get on the last train to Holland. He made his way to America and served with General McCarthy in the Far East during World War II and went on missions behind enemy lines. He was a great character. Uh, I spent some very interesting hours and remember the really good advice he gave to those of us who were starting out in the garden centre world in the 1960s. Now what is the burning question of the day? Well I was posed uh, the question of naming a plant Now that's always a bit unnerving. You know, there's an awful lot of plants uh, and we're expected to remember the names of all of them and uh, people tend to forget that uh, the more years you've been about, the more days you have to remember Uh, and it can be quite uh, testing. The plant in question that I was shown was a roeo that has uh, strap-shaped leaves with really bright purple colouring and, and it's uh, pretty easy to uh, grow. You can just divide bits off it. It has a, a useful common name, Moses in the Cradle, which comes from the bracts which hold the tiny flowers towards the base of the plant. Many people may uh, go to the internet for a, a bit of help when it comes to plant naming. I still find uh, the expert books by... Uh, Dr. Dave saying, invaluable in this respect. I mean, the houseplant expert, for example, if you thumb through those pages, you'll quickly see the colour picture of the plant you're trying to name. But you don't just get the name. Of course, you get all the other details, the sort of temperature it needs, the position, bright or shady, how will you water it, uh, when it needs repotting, all that kind of stuff. Boy, he produced some great books, uh, Dr. Hussain, and uh, you you would be well advised to keep one or two of them on the shelf at home. When it comes to seasonal advice, well then the lawns. I'm told they're still lush and green in uh, North Wales uh, and up in the North West where they've uh, had some quite heavy rain. Here on the East, I'm afraid, things are terribly dry and the grass pretty brown and burnt up. It's still worth running the mower over the turf uh, every uh, week or two just to trim off the bents, what we call those tall thin seed heads that come especially on the ryegrass cultivars. If you just uh, snip those off before they get too tall keeps the turf looking tidy and if you do let them run away of course the roller just pushes them down They miss the cutter blade and once you've gone past up they spring again and pretty miserable they can make the turf look. I'm just starting to pick some of the really large fruited tomatoes which of course tend to be a a little longer in growing and later ripening. For the first time I've just picked a really huge fruit on a beefsteak kind called Buffalo Sun. It pretty well fills my hand and weighs just under the pound and the color is gold and at the base flushes red it's a bit ugly around the calyx but i think when i uh, cut a slice or two across it it will very nearly fill a slice of bread and i'm told the color is beautifully pink and gold inside it's not quite ripe i must just leave it another day or so There's a variety Honeymoon and that has a slightly pink flush to its colour and I'll be interested to see what uh, they taste like. Now with this weather very, very hot and drying we need to be careful because the uh, physiological condition on tomatoes called Blossom End Rot is uh, very likely where plants are allowed to get dry. If you've got three tomato plants in a average grow bag, for example, they're going to need watering twice a day in the current conditions. And if they do suffer from drought and the plants have to wilt, they don't take up enough calcium, and this is what causes the blossom end rot. If you've got fruits with that black damaged to the base of the fruit, I'm afraid you can just pick them off and discard them. As long as you get the watering right into the future, then uh, the fruits that are following should be okay. And adding a little bit of calcium, uh, that's a fertiliser that's usually sold under the name calcium, but uh, includes a bit of nitrogen fertiliser, watering that on can be helpful. It's also useful to spray the foliage on apple trees. Do it in the evening, of course, uh, because uh, a condition called bitter pit comes where uh, fruits are developing quite quickly without enough calcium. And, and just spraying the foliage and giving them that bit of extra calcium will help avoid the bitter pit problem. It's particularly uh, likely On the dwarfing rootstocks, that's the mauling nine type of roots, uh, and where that's used uh, to grow the Bramley apple, then that combination does tend to attract uh, bitter pit problems. I'm very pleased to introduce my guest to the podcast today, Steve Austin who is the uh, perennial business unit manager for a company called Ball Colgrave, one of our leading companies uh, supplying ornamental plants, mainly from seed, uh, young plants and divisions. Uh, But, Steve, you're a fairly new arrival at West Adderbury in in near Banbury, aren't you?
2: Yes, that's it, Peter. I joined, um, joined Ball back in the autumn last year. Um, back in October, so yeah, just over uh, seven months now I've been in uh, in position.
1: And a baptism of fire. I understand you're setting the place alight. <laughs> uh, uh, well, <laughs> That's it.
2: <laughs> with, in, with enthusiasm
1: for hardy perennials.
2: Yeah, it's uh it, it's quite bizarre really because obviously the world's a different place today with what's going on. But um, I'm really excited to have joined at this time. Really, it's given me a great opportunity to get hold of all the new perennial genetics and and ones that are on the market, actually, and put them through their paces. And, uh, yeah, as you say, we've got a riot of colour out at West Adderbury this summer. It's fantastic. It is
1: indeed. But, I mean, you've been in the trade for some time. You were with the famous Hillier Company?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I started my... uh, I did my training at Rittal as a student, did my national diploma in horticulture, um, and then Steve,
1: Steve, I didn't know that another, another riddle, Stephen. Yeah. Eh? <laughs>
2: That's it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, went to work for Beth Chateau for a short time um, to get my. I wanted to really learn plants and how they grow, and uh, so got my grounding at Beth Chateau. Um, and whilst I was at um, doing my uh, national diploma, I worked for um, the Sir Harold Hillier Gardens uh, for a year. And that got me in touch with the Hillier um, connections and and Kevin Hobbs, who I know that you've uh, done a podcast recently with. He was uh, a good mentor um, from those days. And I joined uh, Hillier Garden Centres first, worked in the retail for 18 months, and then joined uh, the nursery side. Um, And I was there for um, nearly six years then after that, working with the trees and the shrubs and, and thoroughly enjoyed that experience goodness
1: Um, yeah you have some experience there though you know Beth chateau and hilliers it would be a job to beat that for work experience
2: yeah so i'm i'm very lucky and have worked alongside beth um before obviously she sadly passed away um not too long ago and uh yeah beth's an incredible plants lady um yeah and then more more recently sort of more into the a bit more of the commercial world, really, but I'm you know at heart i I, I like to be known as a plantsman because I, I love my plants, and really through the the work I do today is to try and bring the best the best genetics to the consumer, really, and I feel a responsibility in my role to make sure that um, I'm putting the varieties through their paces so they perform well in gardens. Um, and and for the nurseryman really, who's got to grow them for for the consumer?
1: Yes, if, if a new plant comes onto the market today, it has to go through quite a lot of hoops, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's quite interesting, really. The the length of time um, and and to many consumers buying a plant in the garden centre have no sort of comprehension really what goes into it, do they? It's um, years of work from selecting in, in the initial selections to going into tissue culture to be cleaned up, make sure the plant is clean and reliable. And that's before they even get plants to the likes of you and I for testing. Um, and, and then you've got garden performance, nursery performance, and uh, before we can then start selling really.
0: When I- To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. When
1: I saw you last Friday, we were talking about and, and looking at several new varieties of Nepeta. Yeah, uh, the catmints. They were perfect examples of of what everyone's looking for. You know, a good nursery plant and a very good garden plant.
2: Yeah. It's, it's fascinating the cat mint, isn't it because it's it's a plant that um that does really well in the garden and there's there's good old traditional varieties the walkers low and the six hills giant and for the consumer today buying those they they do a good job of course but they they tend to flop about a bit and one variety that that both you and I like is Persian Blue. Yeah, don't
1: don't don't get me you... going on that.
2: <laughs> I think people are bored of me. I, I think it's one of the best plant
1: introductions for ten years.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. We got it here as you saw, flowering well. And Persian Blue, as as you've explained before, doesn't flop. It 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 goes on for months flowering. And one variety I showed you is um, kitten around. And kitten around. There's, I think the breeders have had fun, haven't they? With these names, They've, there's lots of cat <laughs> puns here. But uh, kitten around, as, as the name suggests, it's small. Um, now, for for the listeners and the um, people in the garden, who have got small spaces, you know, these this only grows to 30 centimeters maximum, um, and it doesn't flop. It's not feeble. It's got the same flower power as Persian Blue, and it's it's a great little plant. And I think even for alpine sections could be fun.
1: Yeah, but, you know, you don't leave it there, do you? You know, no. I'm just about remembering Persian Blue. Uh, yeah. And and then you introduce kitten around. Uh, yeah. But then you've got whisper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's right, whispers. We, we've had a couple of people saying, is that a spelling mistake? But um, the whispers, uh, now they are, they're very new. And... Um, whispers are more garden varieties, like Persian blue um, Persian blue is mound forming whereas the whispers are a little bit taller and we've got a pink, the pink's fantastic the, the, it's more lilac-y pink, kind of very pale pink petals but the uh, old sort of flower stem, the calyx, looks really attractive, sort of burgundy pink um, and the blue is a good electric blue colour um, so that's coming for twenty two. That's the, that's coming on the market. So we're we're really excited about those. Um, good new good new introductions.
1: But of course, that's just at, at the tip of the iceberg. Isn't yeah. It? Um what other plants would you tempt us with? I mean, can I mention Agastache?
2: Yeah, please do. Ag- Agastache. Now we um, we work with the world famous Terra Nova Nurseries in, in North America. Um, those guys.
1: Oh, that's Dan, Dan the big Dan Himes yeah. who brought us a lot of hubris. Yeah, yeah.
2: He, phenomenal work um, those guys have, have done. I visited a couple of years ago, and gosh, as a plantsman, it's a it's a paradise, you know. I've never been.
1: Um, it's on the west coast, isn't
2: it? Yeah, Oregon, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, they've got gardens there, and uh, and of course they're fabulous breeding ground. And one of their more modern hybrids I, I particularly like and think has good garden performance is Morello. Um, it's, a, it's a variety that's been on the market about 18 months now. Um, and Morello is a good, strong grower. So really in the garden, we're sort of talking up, up to a metre maximum in its ultimate um, height, but really sort of half a metre um, when it's growing Good burgundy underside to the leaves in the spring and really good sort of pinky, pinky purple flowers. Um, very big flowers as well. Not too brittle, Peter, as well. It doesn't flop or snap about um, like some uh-huh. varieties. So,
1: And, of course,
2: that, that that has a sort of, the leaves have a herby sort of smell. Yeah. Is it licorice? Yeah, yeah, that is. sort of licorice smell. So, um, yeah. yeah, that that's a nice, good addition for the border so um we're we're just bringing that onto the uh into our range now
1: and then there was a there was a very dark-leaved uh, adjuga that that really uh caught my eye i mean it it looked al- almost metal burnished dark bronze yeah
2: yeah that's um that's adjuga black scallop that is um, it's one of the darkest um, ajugas on the market. We used to grow it at a Hilliers years ago um, when I was there, but it kind of disappeared, and I was in Singapore gardens last autumn, and you know the gardens by the bay. Uh,
1: I, I certainly know of them, but I haven't I haven't visited. I mean, you're dropping some names here, Steve. You were down on the west coast, and then before we you know where you are, you're in Singapore.
2: What? What? <laughs> it's... Um, no, I, I like to travel with my holidays, you see, and I, I love visiting gardens and I like to see where the plants come from. And uh, I'd never been to Singapore. I'd, I'd used it as a stop-off point for traveling, but um, went went down there last year. And I have to say, anybody that's been or thinking about going, it's amazing for plants. I was blown away by the choice and the just what was there as a true paradise um, and this ajuga was growing there. Um, black scallop was growing, it was flowering well, and I thought, blimey, that's, that's a real worthy plant and, and worth including in the range, easy to grow. Um, when it's growing in full sun, it gets that wonderful black foliage, like you say, um, and good blue flowers. But
1: it's interesting. So, I mean, it was growing very well with you in West Adderbury, where the temperature is, you know, reasonably modest. I mean Singapore it's a sweatbox isn't it
2: really <laughs> hot and humid Yeah Yeah and there was no sign of um of any mildew or foliage degradation at all so it's yeah so it's, a, it's a really interesting to see how these plants survive around the world really
1: Yeah when I went to Singapore the bay garden wasn't even thought of I don't think I went to the botanic gardens Yeah and I remember walking about through um well what I would have thought were houseplants really creeping about. Yeah. And and I'd seen some um, rodents downtown in Singapore hmm. and and I said, what do you do here with uh, rats? Are they a problem? And he said, no, we've got a python that eats those. <laughs> <laughs> Made me step a bit carefully through the, uh, <laughs> the stems of Monstera. <laughs> if I asked you for two or three plants that people should look for, uh, but both to go yeah. in containers and to plant in the borders. Uh, what should they be looking for over the next uh, 12 months or so, Steve?
2: Well, a cu- couple I, I'd like to touch on. One is the uh, some of the more modern Echinacea varieties. There's been an awful lot of work done on Echinacea, and um, you, you've seen it, and we, we touched on it, the work that the RHS are doing on the trials there um, that's coming to an end now on, on their echinacea trials. I've I've done um, a fairly extensive trial here at West Adderbury this year because lots of people say to me they love echinacea in the garden and um, but they can't grow it on the nursery and that turns a lot of people away from from growing it. And one that I really want to highlight is a as a good strong growing variety for the patio would be a variety called sun magic vintage red and vintage red is a brilliant variety it's been bred in germany um, and the breeder um, does breed some of the fancy rebeckia varieties that we'll talk about in a moment and what i love about this echinacea is we planted some in a in a 23 centimeter a five liter pot in april this year and I did, did the normal thing, like I would with any echinacea, is just take that first flower off. Um, otherwise, they they sort of tend to flower themselves out early. Pinch that off, and there's got to be over 100 flowers on it now. It is incredible.
1: That's almost like the old African marigolds, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, you needed to take the first flower off to uh, really get the root system going and get the most from them. Yeah. And. Uh, that's a very good tip for gardeners. So would you do that with all Echinaceas?
2: Oh, certainly, yeah. In that, in that first year, when they're, when they're planting them um, in the garden, definitely, um, the growers will notice a big difference from that in the garden. Instead of having one um, flower, they'll have multiple flowers and they'll withstand the weather better then as well. Otherwise, they tend to they tend to get a bit floppy and they can break, yeah. which is quite heartbreaking.
1: And then you mentioned Rad Becky as well.
2: Wow. Yeah, I was at Hyde Hall
1: <laughs> this morning, where of course we've got a trial of uh, over eighty of them. Yeah, uh, and we've got some I think that you don't have, and and you certainly got some that we don't have. Yeah.
2: <laughs> We're working with the, as I mentioned, the German um, breeder, the same breeder who works on the vintage red. Uh, his performance on his son Becky, as uh, he sort of brands them as, but um, they are marvelous. One one plug potted in April again, and there's 50 plus flowers, and these flowers are super sized. You you sort of you've seen them yourself. You put them in the palm of your hand, and they sort of cover it. They're in. Incredible things.
1: Well, I I use my uh, thumb and little finger stretched out to measure. Yeah, and and that's nine inches. And some of those flowers were actually just on nine inches across oh. for Rudbeckia. That's huge, isn't <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, and, and what kind of uh, feeding treatment do you give? I mean, you'll you'll be growing a lot of these perennials in three and a half and five liter pots. Yep. They're vigorous and they take quite a bit of water and feeding, don't
2: they? They do. We as standard we, we try not to overfeed um the varieties here because we like to give them as true to type testing as possible. Um so all of our perennial compost has um control release fertilizer in, um which which, you know, is best advised for anybody growing these at home um we do then um certainly as once they start reaching a pot full and start setting buds we then um give a liquid uh, feed um just to encourage the flowering and just to prevent the foliage from um degrading as it as it flowers so just a, a general um feed that we give every sort of fortnight really um and that's that's until they start flowering they've stopped now feeding That's all we tend to do, really.
1: Right. So, slow release at the beginning. Yeah. In in a good, um, you know, general potting compost. And then, as they come into flower, it's almost like the story with tomatoes, isn't it? When you've got the first fruit that are um, 55 pence piece size. Yeah. Then you start every 10 to 14 days with a high potash feed.
2: Yeah. And the sort of tip I always suggest I mean, if people. it's really the space they want uh, to grow so if people are planting more than one or even if they've got one in the garden it's give them plenty of space Um, they can get drawn up if they've they've got allowed plenty of space as I mentioned it's one one plug Uh, it was a 60 plug so that's like a four centimetre um, plug planted into a five litre directly so that's quite a big jump so when people are planting in the garden, give them plenty of space and they'll they'll sort of settle in better than uh, otherwise get drawn up.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that's a mistake that I keep making, even with all my experience. <laughs> the Persian blue, we put those too close. Yeah. When they went in, it looked as if, you know, they got miles of soil between them. I know. But just a few weeks and... Boy, they covered the ground.
2: Yeah, people were asking me questions here. They said, gosh, you're a bit brave putting those small plugs in that big pot. Do you know what you're doing? I was like, yeah, trust me. <laughs> and they, they filled it. And uh, you're right, it, It's it, when you do initially plant them in the ground and you give them all that space, it's, yeah, you, you do have to question sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think the new varieties that are being introduced have so much more vigour. You know, I think they're very healthy they have a lot of vigour. Yeah. And if they're carrying a lot of flowers, then they're going to need a lot of water and food.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And the the technology and propagation has changed. I mean, I've been in the industry um, over 10 years now. And, um, and when I started out in the industry, there was a lot of cuttings and tissue culture was, you know, really up there for some of the real premium perennials. But the tissue culture propagation mesh, method now is... Is you. I mean, that's how all these Rudbeckias are propagated, and that that propagation method gives so much vigour to the plant. It it's, cleans any virus from um, the initial stock, so these plants are really primed and and ready to give good garden performance for you know three to five years um, easily, uh, if not longer.
1: Amazing, Steve. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you. Can't wait to see (laughs) what you have to show us next time I come.
2: Definitely. There's plenty more where that comes from. So, yeah, I look forward to it.
1: As to the tailpiece, how about the quote from Helena Rutherford Ely? And she wrote The watering of a garden requires as much judgment as the seasoning of a soup. And I think she has it in a nutshell. Although currently it's a matter of just getting enough water on many of the plants outside. But for most of the year, just getting the watering right is the key to uh, plants growing well and looking healthy. Have a good week. Sit in the shade in the height of the day and I look forward to being back with you next week. My thanks this week to sponsor Hayloft Plants Limited from Persia, Worcestershire, and to my producer, Rich Jarman.